evening, everyone. So lovely to see so many of you. I think we're all absolutely blown away by you all trekking out in the cold and wet on a Sunday night, probably the last thing that a lot of you felt like doing. So a huge thank you uh, for coming to hear about Uganda. I'm just going to pray to start with. Father, I just thank you so much that you're here. Thank you that your heart is for the poor. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of us tonight, that you would stir our heart with what's on your heart, and that we would draw closer to you uh, through that, Lord. Amen. So as you all know, six of us went to Uganda. We had an incredible, and it's not exaggerating, an incredible week, which was life-changing for all six of us. And it was amazing at the beginning of the week. We really didn't know what the Lord would do. Um, but by the end, we were quite blown away what he managed to do within the week. This is a, um, a picture of some of the children that we connected during our time there. Um, and they, were child, they are child ambassadors. And you're going to hear a bit more about them and the work that Viva do with them. But they were a really inspiring bunch of children. So I just wanted to start with that because that was the key reason for us going, was to connect with the children out there. I'm Francis Bamba, also known as Fra, married to Nick Bamba, and we've been at the church for a year now. So I'm just going to start, guys, by reading Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And I think that passage um, for the group of us before we went really um, spoke to us, particularly to me, actually, as I was praying about it. And... um, I think the key thing that came out of it was, well, as we all know, the Lord's heart is so for the poor and for us to do something about that. And yet so often we think, well, what can I do, Lord, particularly living in beautiful Surrey? Um, but I just want to encourage each one of us tonight that we can, there is such a difference we can make. Um, and you'll hear about that through, through the evening. So when we engage with the poor, we really engage with God's heart. And I think for us, when we went, we were amazed by how close to God we felt um, going out and being with people that were really living in horrendous situations. And yet there was such an amazing faith they had in the Lord because they didn't have the material things that we have because they were so desperate in a lot of ways. They were so dependent on him. And I think we felt really humbled by that because we realized that there was something we lacked because um, God says, blessed are the poor, doesn't he? And, uh, and another verse in giving is in, is in giving that we receive. And um, although we went thinking we were going to give and help, we actually received so much more. And I just want to encourage all of you young ones here. It's such a key, exciting time in your lives. And as you get bigger, 
there'll be an opportunity maybe to go out um, off to Africa or off to a poorer part of the world, go and work with a charity. And I really want to encourage you to do that. I did that when I was in my 20s and it was a life-changing thing for me and it really helped me with with my belief that there really is a God that cares and I really connected with him in a way that I hadn't um, before. So just encourage you all with that. So we went out um, to connect with a charity called Viva who work with children at risk and their vision is to see children safe and well and fulfilling their God-given potential. So a very simple, straightforward, what as Christians we would all think, yep, that's fab. And this is a key one, to inspire lasting change in children's lives through the power of collective action. And I think this is a key thing with Viva. We saw a lot of charities, there were a lot of charities in Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda, where we went, and all trying to sort of do a lot of good work. But actually the power that's within Viva is working in unity, so they really connect all these charities to work together. And of course that's such a biblical thing, isn't it? When we work together, we're so much more effective Um, So through the power of collective action, so working together. Okay, so the first one with the man bending down, so this is all the things that they do, but I won't go into too much detail because you can find all that on the Viva website, but the first one is thriving workers, so it really helps lots of Ugandan people, particularly the Christians, see the needs, the horrendous poverty, and they want to do something. So they try to set up a charity, but it's just not sustainable on its own. And so Viva come in and support. They do a lot of education um, and um, connect them with people that can help them make it sustainable long term. The next one is with the um, greenery sustainable projects so they train um, we actually saw some children that were learning how to grow mushrooms to sell to pay for their school fees and it was a real simple but active way of of trying to earn money and the next one is engaging with churches you can see the children praying there Um, and that's so they work with all the local the churches in Kampala as well Uh, the next one I can't remember what it was Uh, effective networks the next one, doing the sack race, so they're really team building and trying to build relationships across different charities. And then the last one is they work a lot with the government, um, with officials, and um, yes, trying to change things there. So that famous um, person, Nelson Mandela, said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And I think that's a key part of what Viva do, is really educating, educating the local people so they can make the change, rather than us coming in and thinking we're going to do it. It's actually supporting and building people up that way. Okay. So this is where Uganda is. And we were in Kampala, which is the little black dot, which is right on Lake Victoria. So I put down here some of the sort of quite shocking statistics, uh, but I'll just read out some of them. I do have to take them all in now. So 31% of the population live below the national poverty line. Only 20, um, 20% of children go to bed hungry every night. Actually, this is quite an interesting one. Only 21% of children exist legally and um, have a birth certificate. So a lot of children are just sort of legal sense of that they, they exist. Um, Kampala's streets are home to at least 10,000 street children and some of us went into the slums um, which was really heart-wrenching 94% of children can describe having been abused by an adult which again was really shocking actually children are very much bottom of the pile in the culture and beating your child is sort of a, a standard thing and you'll hear a bit more about that later 
move on. So this was the Viva office where we all went every morning, um, which is up on this, this hill overlooking Kampala. It's actually a beautiful spot from the cathedral. You can look out over the city. So you're sort of up and above all the, the hustle and bustle. This is all of us except the lovely Kim, who was brilliant at taking all the photos. So she's taking the photo. Uh, the second one in, most of you will know, is not one of us. That's Isabel. Can you? We're all in white shirts. I don't know why we're all in white shirts. That was not planned. But the second lady in with the circles on her skirt is Isabel. And she uh, is head of Viva um, in Africa. So she also, as well as overseeing Uganda and Kenya, which Mim, I'll tell you about in a minute, she also oversees um, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Tanzania as well. And then Mim, who's in the black trousers and the white top, she is Uganda and Kenya. And so her role is to oversee the network that have been set up in Kampala. And the network's called Crane. So it's a Viva network, but it's called Crane there, the local Ugandan people that run it have called it Crane. And these two women were so inspiring to us. We um, were quite blown away. They've sort of given up everything of a sort of Western life. And um, they've gone out there and they're just serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Uh, Isabel's adopted a Ugandan girl. And they, uh, they're really sticking out now because it's not easy. And they're persevering for God in a tough place. And what was lovely, we were able to really share some of their struggles with us. And we were able to... It's a real privilege to be able to pray for them and encourage them. And we're in email contact with them still too. And then this is the wonderful Crane team, a really great bunch of people who amazingly at the beginning of the week, they were suspicious of us. We weren't quite sure what we were doing. And, and by the end, we became great, great friends with them. And we've been emailing and supporting them that way. And I think we've just blown away by these Uganda. Some of them have grown up in slums, had a really hard life, and yet then they've gone through, managed to get up out of it, some sponsored by Compassion and charities like that, and then gone to university and potentially could have gone on to a, a, better, a more profitable job financially, but have chosen to uh, serve Crane and to work with Viva. Um, so... Yeah, they're just a, a brilliant bunch of people, and we're hoping to continue our relationship with them as a church uh, to support them. Okay, so I thought I'd better just touch on this, because so many of you, before we went, some of you might not know this, but uh, a lot of our church members donated footballs for us to take, and... Um, and pants, girls' pants, um, which was what they had asked for. Uh, so this was in the Viva office, all the footballs that we carried out in our suitcases and all the girls' pants. Um, and I think they were quite gobsmacked, really, at the amount. Um, Viva are very careful at not handing loads of stuff out because they don't want to be seen as that being the main thing they do. So it was interesting, actually, when they took us out, they might take one football to a project, but they were very sensitive in how they did it. One of the workers for Crane that we talked to, we went out with, and she shared with us, she was absolutely amazed um, seeing these girls' pants, because she hadn't had pants until the age of 13, and she would just have a bit of cotton and a, a string to hold it up, a bit of material, till she was age 13, and she couldn't believe these cotton pants, you know, quality M&S pants. So, um, so that was really humbling for us to hear, actually, because she was, you know, she was educated and ha had a relatively seemingly comfortable life, but actually had gone through some really hard things. And then the footballs, there's actually another photo. So I just got this one. Unfortunately, I didn't get them kicking a football. This little football was from Matthew Hoskins, who's at church. 
um, and he, his mum came up and she said, oh, we've cleaned up his football for you to take. So I gave, we gave it to these little boys and they were playing with it. We did see some boys playing with footballs, but they were very worn out. And then others who didn't have a football had scrunched up paper in a plastic bag and were kicking that around. So I think there are going to be many happy boys kicking footballs around. So tonight, I'm going to stop waffling now, and we're going to focus on three specific areas of Viva's work, because there's loads of stuff they do, but we're going to focus on the three that impacted us the most. Hello, I'm Marion Peters, and I also arrived uh, a year ago uh, with my husband, uh, funnily enough, the same week that Farah and Nick walked into the church, so uh, that's how long we've been here. I'm going to talk very briefly now about um, child ambassadors. In a, in a world now of, of Twitter and social media and radio and television, um, that's how we get news out and about, isn't it? But if you don't have access to those things, what's the quickest and easiest way of passing messages? Does anybody know? Letters is really quick, but even simpler than writing a letter. What's the quickest way? Yes? Talking. Talking is the easiest way. It doesn't cost any money. It's really easy to do. And really, that's what child ambassadors do. They talk a message. They talk a message to keep children safe. And they start very young. I think some of them were about as young as seven, and they went up to about 15. And all they are charged with doing is passing on the message to other children how to keep safe. We've already seen that 94% of children in Uganda will suffer some sort of abuse. So they need to be able to protect themselves, and that's how they do it. Alex is going to talk about where they are. So um, I want to show you some pictures of some of the child ambassadors that we met and hopefully through these pictures it will illustrate to you exactly the power that they have by talking to each other and spreading a certain message. So if we can look at the first picture, this is um, Marion, myself and Fra in one of the slums and this was called the Koso Slum Safe Club and by its name you can hear it's a place of protection and there's about 100 members within the network of Crane and within uh, and all of these most of these members are either schools or orphanages and Crane selects 10 children from these schools and orphanages and they become child ambassadors and they are taught that these children are from a community and within the slum and every Saturday they meet together and they learn about the rights they have and they have a teacher who's right at the back just under the wooden window and this teacher teaches them ways of uh, of understanding so it breaks them out of the the cycle of common behaviors things like Beating, which you've heard, is very um, regular, and they're very, um, these children don't have much money, so they're neglected by their parents. A lot of them experience prostitution, either themselves or within their family, and they're abused by their teachers and the people that look after them and are closest. And through learning about their rights, they learn how to say no by being empowered with the knowledge that they don't have to accept this way and the strength of the fact that their children is hopefully by teaching the children it's it's going to be teaching a new generation of people within the whole of Uganda that there is a different way of behaving other than the one that their parents and the parents that they had um, have behaved 
this was a lesson that we saw. The children uh, very much lead the lessons themselves. They've got one teacher in the room, but the, it's far more powerful that, um, the teach, that the children actually speak about their own experiences. And this particular lesson was all about the management of money and what good things can happen if you manage your money well and um, all about the bad things that happen if you don't manage your money well and some of the examples these children were all coming up with and they were all putting their hands up and suggesting things that, that they had seen and they would witnessed in their own lives and um, some of the things that they were talking about were if you manage your money badly were gambling, getting into violence, stealing, hunger, uh, alcohol abuse and drugs abuse and also child prostitution so some quite dramatic things that these children that were really very young, as young as many of you and younger, were all experiencing. The other way that they learn is by role-playing. Some of you children might do this in your schools as well. Now, this role-play was all about understanding that it's wrong to be beaten. Parents and teachers, by matter of normality, beat children for doing things that are wrong and you can see the little girl in the green dress got a rolled up piece of paper and these are the children that are pretending they're at school and this is what's happening and the teacher's beating them and these children are being empowered to say no I have a right not to be beaten and they will, they will reenact this to their, to their friends in the, in the community and they will say no it's not right. This is a picture, a very lovely, happy picture of myself with um, some girls within a school where they were, were child ambassadors. And this school was called House of Joy. And you can see from the photograph that these children and all the ambassadors we met were really proud and really happy. And they had a very strong sense of confidence and a very strong sense that God was with, within everything they were being learned, everything they were being taught. The next picture is another set of child ambassadors. They all look so smart, don't they? Smarter than many of my children look on a school day. And they're, they're very proud, and this was them brainstorming. Because they teach their, 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 all the other children in the community, they were brainstorming some ideas here about the different rights that they were learning about. We're just going to get you to do some work now. If you'd like to just turn to some people around you and, and have a think about what you think children's rights are. Alex has mentioned a few, so I, I can give you those again, like a right not to be beaten. But, but what would you think children have a right to? If you just take 30 seconds or so. Can I just take, before we, we're going to put a list up actually of some of, the rights that the children there did identify. But can I just take some ideas? There were some lovely ideas here I heard. What, I heard one that, that amused us hugely. What was that? A right to wear makeup. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Certainly a right to self-expression, isn't it? A right to wear makeup, the young, the young ladies said here on there. Anybody else got any more rights that they think children have? A right to be respected, yes, absolutely. A right to safety, yes. Are there any from this side? A period of innocence, a period of innocence. We're just going to put up the children's rights that we saw in one of the clubs um, that we visited. You can see that because they have very limited facilities, uh, they use the walls, and that piece of wall had been designated advocate space so this was for the child ambassadors and there we have the rights as these children had identified 
a right to life, a right to education, a right to security, a right to medical care, a right to rest, a right to have a name, all those children who have no birth certificates and have no name. That really, really struck us. A right to worship their God. And, and worshipping was such a very big part um, of life in Uganda. A right to play, a right to eat, and as they would say, to clothes. So, anyway, those are the children's rights. It varied a little bit from place to place, and there is a list of UN children's rights, but those were the ones uh, taught in this particular club. And finally, I wanted to, so, so we've met the child ambassadors. We hopefully understand a little bit about what they're trying to do within their communities and schools. But I wanted to give you two examples of two people or two children that we met. I'm not exactly sure of their ages, but they were, they were somewhere between 10 and 14, I would suspect. One of them was called Innocent, and he came from the Safe Club, which was the first picture that you saw that, that I had up the Koso slum. And Innocent is typical of child ambassador and he's looked, looked up to within his community of, of children and there was one child that came crying to Innocent one day and he shared with him that his father was beating him and he wasn't just beating him in the normal way, he was obviously beating him in a way that was deeply, deeply upsetting him and causing a, a, you know, a lot of pain and a lot of emotional upset so Innocent, in his role as a, a child ambassador took this child to the police and reported his father for the beating. And what Crane does is that they can also so they can go into the families, and I, I, I believe that, that Crane also went and supported the father. And Innocent told us that um, whilst the father was being supported, he helped teach the child how to clean his father's house and to relieve the stress of the father as well. And Innocent said that the beatings did stop after that incident and that was very typical of many of the stories that we heard from them. There was also Sandra that we met from the House of Joy, which was the second set of pictures that you, you saw. And Sandra saw a little girl who had wounds on her head, and she just saw her within the school environment, and this little girl was terribly unhappy. Sandra found out that she lived with her stepmother, who was mistreating her very badly, which was why she had wounds on her head. Sandra discovered that this little girl had an eight-year-old brother, and... So even Sandra, as a Ugandan who's used to um, malnutrition and people not being well fed, said that he looked like he was three years old, not the eight years old as he actually was. So what Sandra did, she showed tremendous courage and she reported this to the school director and um, together with the school director she went and visited the child's home um, and they arranged a housekeeper to come and help assist the stepmother, um, organise her house a little bit better, and the, the children then came and lived within the school, which had boarding facilities. And when we were there, the brother was still living at the director's house. So Sandra was articulate, she was brave, and she was incredibly determined to do what was right and what she'd been taught within uh, as a child ambassador. And it was no surprise to us that she had an ambition when she was a grown-up to be a lawyer helping street children. Right, I'm now going to interview Kim for a change. So, Kim, do you remember, actually, I ought to say to you, so they sent us out in twos or threes just so that we didn't overwhelm a project when we visited it. So, Kim and I uh, went to a couple of projects together. So, Kim, do you remember our visit to Namuongo Slum? 
I don't think I'll ever forget it, actually, Farah, because um, we were both wearing flip-flops at the time, I remember, and they advised us to go and wear closed shoes. And I, um, I said to, to the face at the time that I was quite happy to wear flip-flops. I didn't mind getting muddy feet. And she insisted that we wore closed shoes. And when we got there, I realised why, because they were really closed buildings and running between them was muddy sewage water and with lots of rubbish everywhere. And it would be so easy to cut your feet and possibly get an infection. And there are 15,000 people living in these slums, and that's a daily occurrence for them there and uh, very likely to get an infection. I might like to say as well, they didn't have, um, most of them didn't have shoes at all, let alone flip-flops. Yeah, so, right. mm. so this is actually a picture of a slum, but it's not actually Namuongo. We didn't get a photo of the slum from a view like that. That's a slum right by the hospital, ironically, and there was a lot of rubbish around there, and it was, yeah, quite shocking. Namuongo is the second largest slum in Kampala with 15,000 people, and here you can see what it was like walking between the buildings and why we were wearing closed shoes. Mm. It's, it's situated between the bottom of a hill and a very large, smelly swamp. And it was just after the rainy season, so there was a lot of water everywhere and some of that swamp overspilled into people's houses. The families who live here have escaped from rural poverty, natural disasters like drought and flooding from other areas, and also war-torn areas and um, persecution from the Lord's Resistance Army and others. Um, so they feel that they were coming to Kampala for safety, really. They thought they would be able to get work and, and safety for themselves. But in fact, they, were getting, they had no work and obvious poverty and a lot of dangers there also. And what were the main health problems that they encountered there? Well, the children and adults were dying needlessly from um, preventable diseases like TB, cholera, malaria, and dysentery from waterborne diseases. Mm. In fact, 141,000 children under the age of five die from preventable diseases. Um, there are also other diseases there, um, other serious health issues, including <coughs> HIV, AIDS, malnutrition, because they were so poor, family planning issues, and maternal mortality. 450,000 out of, of 100,000 women die in childbirth there. Here you can see some of the, the children collect food. They don't have enough food to eat, so they go onto the rubbish heaps. They try and find food to eat for the family. And there, and that's a little girl there. We saw her doing that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. And so how are Viva responding to this? Very well, actually. Um, Aviva and Crane have set up a, a maternal and child health project which addresses poor health and inadequate health issues, practices in families. And this has been achieved by selecting um, 20 peer educators, which they train up and they send out into the slums to help these people. They, they help them how to eat with their nutrition and to what the signs of disease um, and malaria issues with nets and immunisation. They help, they guide them in family plan, planning and how they can help themselves with that. Yeah. And, and basically someone that they can turn to if they've got any issues with their children and they can then guide them into the right places, government okay. clinics. And, yeah. um, and so can you tell us about a few people that we met there? 
This is Fatima. Fatima lived in a tiny little house which was two rooms. She lived at the edge of the slum there and it was right on the edge by the swamp water. And it was just at the end of the rainy season and her house got flooded daily by the, by the swamp. Um, that's some of her family there. And she's suffering from TB at the moment, which is probably because of the swamp water and the waterborne diseases that happened there. 17 people lived in her house. There were two rooms, and all her extended family lived in that house, which got swamped mm. a lot. This is Mary, um, Mary and her son. Um, she was a delightful lady. She lived in a, a tiny little house with a corrugated tin roof, which leaked, and it had a hole in the top which went right over her bed. Um, she had five children. She was quite frightened when she saw us, mm. wasn't she? And she had just lost her husband from HIV. Two of her children also had HIV, and she has HIV herself. And one of the questions um, she asked us was, how can I prolong my life so that I can look after my children? She was a lovely lady, yes. wasn't she? Yes, amazing. Yeah. Yes, I think the peer educators there, and they, they could support her, and they were going to support the children afterwards, but very hard with the HIV and AIDS situation. Okay. Karen, tell us about this one. The lady to the left is a peer educator and uh, she was absolutely delighted when she saw this family because a month before she had met that little boy who's in his mum's arms. Um, his mum is called Sylvia and he was dying. He had, um, a, I don't know what disease he had actually, but he was dying and she was really worried about him. So she took him and his mother to the hospital. She arranged for a taxi and she took them to the local um, hospital. She paid for it out of her own money to get him there, and she was absolutely thrilled to see him alive and thriving because she really thought he was going to die. The mum, while she was in hospital looking after her little boy, was fitted with a family planning device to stop her having more children, which is one of the problems over there is there isn't the, the family planning, and they have more and more children, so the problem gets worse and worse. And this was... Julia, Juliet, I think, yeah. um, one of the peer educators. Uh, I like to call them slum angels because they were just amazing. And, and she, was, she was just thrilled to see that little boy alive. So, That's great. Yeah. The next slide, please. And this little boy is called Kim. Good name. And, um, and he has sickle cell disease. He was brought to us by, well, we were asked to go and visit him because his mum was very ill and she'd just been taken to hospital. So he was extremely worried when we met him. And he, he was with a lady called Jeanette, which I think we'll see in a minute on the next slide. And she just wanted us to see him so that we could sort of cheer him up a bit, really. And uh, I'm not sure if we cheered him up, but the camera certainly did because he loved having his photograph taken. I've got hundreds of him. Yeah. I have nothing to do with the name, of course. <laughs> and this is Jeanette, and she looks after him because he has sickle cell disease. So she comes and sees him quite often just to sort of help him and the family and she will give him care if he needs it and take him to the right places. So she's one of the peer she educators. She is one of the peer educators, yeah. yeah. Another slum angel. Brilliant. Mm. Okay. What else was I going to ask you? So at the end of our day, Kim, how, what were your thoughts and feelings when we left the slum? I was totally, totally overwhelmed um, by the, the real poverty that I saw there. There's so much illness and everything and I was also 
It was really evident in the slums with all the sewage and everything, but I was also just amazed by the amount of good work that these peer educators are doing. They're just real angels. They're going out daily. They reach, I think I've got it here somewhere, I can't see it. Um, They're just enthusiastic and tireless in their work. One of the ladies actually was heavily pregnant and she was walking miles to each of these, because it's vast, this place, and to each of these families, but she was tireless in her efforts and just because she wanted to do the good work of the Lord. And there are 20 peer educators, I don't think I've said that, covering this whole area. And Viva and Crane have just employed and trained 10 more. So there's now 30. We've only just had that news in the last couple of days. So that's amazing. And I feel that it's a, it's a gradual process, but slowly the attitude of the community is being changed for the better. And I feel that there's going to be a brighter future for people in the Mwanga slums just from these peer educators and the maternal health programme. Great. Thanks, Kim. Hello, I'm Katrina, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. So if you'd like to pray. Dear Lord, we come before you now to praise you and thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your sovereignty and that you are a mighty God who reigns over all. We thank you for the beauty of your creation and the many diverse places and people that you have made. Lord, we want to bring before you your country of Uganda. We think of its vibrancy and its warmth, its beauty and its poverty. We pray for this nation who has lived many years under oppression and hardship. We ask, Lord, that you would bring about a time of renewal and refreshment. We thank you for the many Christians and their amazing faith despite their circumstances. And I pray that we would learn from their complete openness and dependency on you. Lord, we want to lift the work of Viva up to you tonight. We thank you for all that they are doing with the neglected, abused and abandoned children. We thank you for the amazing team that are working there. We think of Mim and Faith in their leadership, and we pray for your enabling and strengthening in all they do. We pray for the team as a whole. We pray for your protection as they work on the front line for you. We pray for unity, wisdom, and your peace which passes all understanding as they spread your love and your word to all those in need. We thank you for the incredible privilege of spending time with this work. We pray for your blessing and provision on those children mentioned tonight, for Sandra, Innocent, Sylvia, Kim, Fatima and Mary. Lord, as we bring our prayers to a close, we pray for ourselves. We pray, as we have listened tonight, that our hearts have been touched, our compassion has been stirred, and that we would respond collectively and individually to the work you would have us do. We pray for Oneness Church and for the ongoing relationship, and I pray that by your Spirit this connection would bear much fruit. As you have loved us, may we love others. As you have fed us, may we feed others. As you have clothed us, may we clothe 
your people. Lord, use us, we pray. Amen. What goes on at school is really, really important. And it's often to do with the teacher. It's often to do with someone who's really inspired you and encouraged you on the way. In Uganda, most classes have about 40 or 50 children in a small room, sitting in rows on wooden benches with a wooden desk in front of them. Not much colour, not much on the walls, a teacher at the front with a blackboard and a piece of chalk, and rote learning, having to learn by memory. Things like the... um, alimentary canal system of a cow or something. I mean, bizarre tech, you know, things that were up on the wall that people were having to learn. Um, we realised over time that actually for a lot of children this wasn't working and we were told that in particular a lot of girls were dropping out of school, primarily because of lack of funding. Children have to wear school uniform and they have to buy books, otherwise they can't come to school. And for a lot of families that was more than they could afford if you've got a lot of children, you look at where, you know, who are we going to send to school? It got down to choices as to who you would send to school. And sadly, if you're a girl, you were bottom of the pile. So there were a lot of girls who had dropped out of school. And Viva and Crane are working to try and make a difference. And so they've set up something called Creative Learning Centres because they want these girls to get back into education. But because they've been out of school for quite a long time, they need some help and some support to get back into that. So they're experiencing school in a completely different way for a short term that they haven't experienced before to encourage them back so that they get to a standard where they can go back into school and get the education that they long to have. So we're going to have some photographs of some of the creative learning centres. These were four members of staff at House for Joy who ran a creative learning centre. Twelve girls would be in this class, not the 50, but 12 in a large classroom with two teachers and two mentors. The teachers, imagine that, two teachers for 12 girls when it's normally one for 50, so already the ratio has improved. So they would get one-to-one education and teaching. They'd be able to help them at the levels that they were at. And two mentors who worked with the families, because these girls were picked and chosen because they were from families where they felt they could work with the families as well to help the families be able to raise an income so that they did have the funds to support their girls back into education. This is free. For the time that they're involved in a creative learning centre, it is free to them. But they want the families to get back to a place where actually they uh, they can afford to send these girls on in school. So this was, that was one place, and that was the incredibly motivated staff. They were learning something. They'd never been taught to teach like this. When I go into one of the Shamley Green School, it's all interactive and learning, and you're approaching things in different ways. They've been taught to teach from the front with blackboard and chalk. And so they were having to learn what it meant to teach in a different way. But they were really positive and excited and enthusiastic to do that. Let's have the next picture. This was in um, a church, Kampala Baptist Church, and they had set up a creative learning centre. But the girl, the lady in yellow, is standing next to a young girl, and she'd come from another country. She didn't even speak the language. So the thought of her going into a class of 50 and trying to learn, no chance. So she was able to go, and they were spending time in helping her to learn the language. There's a girl in white, and that's Aisha. And last, the week before we had arrived, Aisha's mother had died. And this is commonplace. 
It was just told very matter of fact, this is Aisha, her mother died last week. She's had three days off school and was back. And she longs to learn. She wants to be a nurse. And she's got this chance of education again for her. And she spent ages chatting to Alex and myself. Just so pleased to be there and wanting to learn. Let's have the next picture. This is another example. This wasn't one that I went to. But again, it was girls. And because we were all mothers and women, we were so pleased to see this investment in young girls, trusting that they will have a future. And they were dreaming dreams. They're saying, I want to be a nurse. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be able to do this. Suddenly, they had a different hope for their lives. They also taught them skills. Because realistically, some of those girls won't be nurses or lawyers. But Crane believes that they can actually fend for themselves and stand for themselves. So by giving them skills that will empower them. So teaching them crafts so that they can make things to sell. Empowering them for their future. So that was one example of, um, and I'm going to forget the word, antimacassars. Because in Uganda, they still, who knows what an antimacassar is? The, the things that you put on the backs of chairs that, the older people know. In Uganda, they're very popular. Very popular in Uganda. They were being made. You could buy them everywhere, antimacassars. And so these girls were learning how to make them to be able to make some money. And then this is another one where they were learning skills with um, straws and um, grasses to be able to make raffia things. The things that were lying around them that they could use and get very easily to make into something to be able to sell. Empowering girls so that they had a future. We saw lots of other things, but we just wanted to share with you under those three headings some of the things that were going on. As Francis said, it affected us all very, very deeply. We, you know, we don't see life in quite the same way anymore. We came back straight into the Christmas rush. I have to say, walking up the high street in Guildford, I found really difficult, and I tried to avoid Guildford for a long time because the contrast of what I had seen And how grateful people were for very little. And then people in Guildford High Street moaning about the number of bags that they're having to carry up and down. But we do live here. And we mustn't be embarrassed about living here. What it's made me realise is that it's how I live my life that's important. I'm, I'm not going to pack up and move to Africa because that's not what God is asking of me. But he is asking me to take note of what I have seen and what I have learned from that experience. And I think it's to do with making good choices. I have choices. I met people who didn't have choices. In this country, we are blessed that we have choices to make. And so actually making good choices is something that I've learned from this, the importance of thinking through things and making good choices. And actually we're able to support and help in a way that benefits people. Not pouring in our money so that they they don't live for themselves, but actually our investment, our prayer and our finances and our, perhaps our skills as well. There might be other opportunities to go back and invest with skills. But in order to empower people that they can have the sorts of lives that we have. Lots and lots of opportunities for the future. As a church, as Wanish Church, I think we need to, to think very carefully about what this visit has meant. I would love to see Viva Crane Network in Uganda becoming a mission partner. And I'm going to ask that our new mission team take that on and look at that and see whether this might be possible. Because already six people have been to see it. There might be chances of others. We don't want it just to be those who've been who are inspired by this. That's why we're having this evening. Is this an organization? Is this a a link that we want to have? 
What will that look like? How might we support it further? Lots and lots of questions, not many answers. I think we came back with more questions than answers. But God does that. He says, ask the questions and I will show you the way. So as a church, I would say, please let's ask the question, what does this trip mean for us as a church? Is this a partnership we would like to really make serious and develop? And what will that look like? We can also respond individually. And when we hear a talk like this, each one of us will feel different things and be challenged. And some of you might think, okay, that's all very well for those who are there and are in email contact. What about me? Is there something that I could do? And Francis is just going to quickly say something about that. Well, actually, a key thing, guys, was our connection with MIM and the Viva team. And I think they were blown away that we were really interested in them. I think they'd had other people go out there who were more wanting to connect with a different orphanage orphanage and help the the kids hands-on. And actually, for us to take an interest and a time, time with them and pray with them was key. And as Debbie said, we really want to continue that relationship, not just with the six of us, um, but they're praying for us as a church as a whole. They know we're meeting tonight. And so with the church partnership, which we're hoping we will gradually um, go into, they will be praying for us. They know that it's harder for us to go out and share about Jesus, whereas for them it's just normal. You just do it. Um, and so they know that there are issues that we have here that they can give to us. And then we're, of course, praying for them and communicating with them. And I think one of the ways that we could really support them and build our relationship with them is to start thinking about what skills do I have that I could offer? Um, because a key part is training and education. Um, and there is a thought that towards the end of this year or maybe next year, um, another team might go out. It wouldn't be to go and do the same thing as us. That was a sort of a stepping stone, I think. But it would be more to do a specific training or teaching. I don't know, maybe IT skills, medical skills, teaching. I, I just really encourage you to pray if this has touched you, to ask God if this is a specific thing for you to engage with and if you've got something uh, to offer. Um, Because that was one of the things Mim said to us. She said, actually, we just need more of your knowledge to come and and share, people to come and share with us. Um, So that's the key thing. Also, practical things. I think some of the ladies in the congregation offered to do some knitting. And actually, that would be brilliant. Still, the orphanages, it's a basic thing. But a lot of the babies, they don't have enough blankets. So knitting blankets is great. Um, And another thing is for these creative learning centres, they really need books and materials for the teaching. And so actually we're going to have an offering at the end. There's a basket, I think, at the end. And if you want to give to that, that money will go to that. Um, There's also an um, option to give financially if you want to do regularly. There's some forms um, at the back. Or I just encourage you to go on the website and find out more. There are some little leaflets if you want to take that out away to prompt you to pray uh, for Viva. We're going to start having a monthly prayer meeting too. Um, so we'll keep you in the loop. I think the next one's beginning of March, isn't it? 6th of March, I think. But we'll, we'll put that in the church news if you yeah, feel stirred to come and pray with us for them. And then we'll keep you posted too.